Welcome to Manners and Madness, a Jane Austen and David Lynch podcast. My name is Maya Adkins. And I'm Christian Cabrera. And today we'll be doing part two of our deep dive in Dune. Yes. And you might notice if you listened to the first half, which I hope you did, um, <laughs> that we are now back to the microphones for this week. And we have no Aaron, unfortunately. You know, the life of... of the mother of a five-year-old and now full-time teacher. It's a hard one. It's busy. (laughs) (laughs) But we figured we could wrap it up ourselves. And I'm really glad we rewatched the second half because there, the pug, the story of the pug, I (laughs) finally got to see what happened to. (laughs) So we were very concerned about what happened to the pug and second viewing was the answer. Yes, we got all of our answers. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) But um, should we just go ahead and jump into the notes? Yeah. Okay, because I think I've got quite a bit. I got a lot, all of these from the special features. Ooh. Okay, so it was uh, definitely a really very international production, (laughs) especially in the art department. Anthony Master was the production designer, and he and David Lynch had a long time to work together before production started. Mm. So they brainstormed and sketched out a ton of ideas and concept art. The art department really seemed to like working with David Lynch, which makes sense because because he could approach it from a visual artist point of view. They said it was fun to work with him and talk to a director who could appreciate things like that. And apparently he was still drawing um, pictures on napkins and diners <laughs> and concepts and stuff. So, And he was really into geometric patterns and he would do stuff like suggest design details like a zigzag pattern (laughs) on this wall or something like that so david lynch didn't want the movie to be science fiction or he didn't want the movie to be like a science fiction movie like very typical yeah he wanted each of the worlds to be very distinct and have their own separate looks with history that inspires all the props and costumes and set design which i think is kind of evident you can yeah you can see a lot of that it's very detailed yeah um it's kind of Lord of the Rings that way, I imagine. Yeah, well, that's what it was like. Um, I mean, I would say in the sense of like sci-fi, it it's got like sci-fi elements of like the technology and like the whole space travel stuff. But right. it just it doesn't really feel like a like a Star Wars or like a you know any of these other sci-fi like Star Trek kind of things. Yeah, it feels completely like I don't know, like it's like eight thousand years in the future, but it feels very like in the past at the same time. Yes. Yes. I guess that was the thing back then apparently <laughs> in the future but not really <laughs> the best okay so all the designs were based on basically what resources the planet that they were designing for had okay and you could tell just by looking at them which planet each prop came from so if you couldn't they would want you to send that prop back to the drawing board so that you could uh, make it more distinguished i kind of like that yeah <laughs> I don't know. Did you ever watch the like extended version of Lord of the Rings with all the special features and stuff? I don't think so. That was like my favorite special features ever made. But they went into <laughs> all of the like detail for each, you know, thing that they made. It had all this special stuff, and it kind of reminds me of that. Oh, I have to watch. It. I haven't watched Lord of the Rings in years. Me neither. But I like because uh, we recently went through like all the Marvel films in like what would you call it in like time order. Uh huh. Um, and like after yeah. <laughs> that's the word um but i've also like recently i was like i want to rewatch all the water rings and the hobbit movies because yeah. i'm like, really craving that fantasy element yeah so and those are like the perfect movies for that <laughs> for me at least well i'll have to we'll have to maybe do some lord of the rings watch party or something yeah it'd be really fun <laughs> okay so where was i um yeah each uh the vehicles were a lot of them were based on insects but they also all need to seem like very practical and functional for their okay. use, whatever they were being used for. And the sets was, were done with lots of detail and were very beautiful in person. And the final scenes of the set designs looked a lot like the original designs by the set designers. So that's cool. All of, from what I could tell, all the art department seemed very pleased with like the art aspect of the uh-huh. movie. And they were like, no matter what the other faults you might find with the movie, the look made real by their and David's work is superb. One guy said, even faultless. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I I think the that was probably one of the best parts about this movie is that like, you know, it may be that the story was hard to follow, but whenever you were like in these like rooms or uh, in like the open space, like you 
never felt like oh, this looks so bad like it looks so cheesy i yeah. can't see they're on a set like it looked like they were there yeah that was really cool yeah okay so then we had a uh explosion a special effects documentary mm-hmm. so apparently there were lots of different kinds of explosions in the movie which i could see there were a lot of explosions in the oh movie. yeah so the fx team really liked it because they really got to sink their teeth <laughs> <laughs> They had a lot of bomb operators and like each operator would have to keep their eye on a specific bomb since they were all buried under the sand and you couldn't like really put a marker of where they were. So they had to like see where the actor was in comparison and like put the bomb off whenever. It was safe. Yeah. Ooh, that's scary. Yeah. I didn't hear about anyone getting hurt. So I guess they did a good job. (laughs) (laughs) The attack on the palace was the closest to a normal war film. And David was very insistent on black smoke for the explosions. So they actually burned tires to achieve it, which you definitely cannot do anymore. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) It's not good. They didn't really have like wire removal technology at the time, you Uh know, like CGI remove the wires. So for like the flying needle attack. Uh Uh-huh. They had to use like these super thin micro wires that you couldn't see it. And then the scene of the Baron floating was really difficult because the way the set was and what he was doing in any given scene meant that, like, they needed three or four different rig setups for each scene to switch in and out because, like, sometimes he's flying under something so they can't have something over him and sometimes he's going down a hallway. (laughs) (laughs) So... um, Oh, also the fighting training robot that he fights at the beginning, the big gold one that comes down that was uh, very difficult and complicated for the time to make the fx team thought it was a lot of work but that the illusion that it creates on screen was worth it Mm -hmm. they said it could have been a disaster but in the end it was a really great experience doing the special effects for the movie (laughs) (laughs) i feel like it's always like um any like movie that has this like one great aspect of it like that I always feel like that department is always like, well, we didn't think we'd pull it off. Yeah. We thought it would be a disaster, but it actually was perfect. Yeah. <laughs> those are always like the best parts. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So then there was a documentary on the miniatures, like the sets and stuff. Okay. And this is really interesting to me. So the miniatures in general, they're very complicated to film because you have to like match the proportions and the lens focal lengths and all this other stuff to make it really work and look seamless. And so they actually had two different model shops working on the movie. One was for model shots for like foreground miniatures. And they were, both of them said it was a very successful collaboration between the two shops. Brian Smithy built models as well as got, as well as went on set and filmed the models and stuff like that. And most of their motion controls that they had at the time were still very crude. So things could like only go forwards and backwards and stuff <laughs> like that. And then I think that was one of the model shops with Brian Smithy. And then the other one I think was Emilio Ruiz. He was very talented at setting up illusions. So you could pair model shots with live shots. Oh. Um, like that scene where they first arrive on Arrakis and there's the ship and they are coming down and there's like all the people st- standing around like in formation that Uh uh, most of that is actually a model shot oh wow yeah it's it's very cool but it would be way too confusing for my brain i don't think i could ever try to set up shots like that Mm -hmm. yeah no thank you (laughs) but his his skill set of doing this is now practically a lost art at this point but david lynch said that he valued emilio's work and that even though his system was old-fashioned it should still it should not be lost because the work he did was still very interesting and emilio thought working with david was and having him like publicly appreciate his work was one of the greatest satisfactions Aww. in his working life so that's sweet. yeah and it, it was really cool. I was like, this is amazing. The fact that people yeah. did this and how complicated it is. And like, it looks so great. And we don't even use it anymore. No. <laughs> Shooting the worms was one of the great challenges of the production. <laughs> uh, one of the women, I think she might have been a producer. Or maybe she worked for the model shop. But she said she detested the worms. Every single <laughs> section of them. She hated the head part. She hated the middle parts. And she hated the tail as well. <laughs> 
<laughs> but apparently it was really hard to come up with a design for the worms because, you know, they're worms. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, it's like you don't want to make it too boring. But you yeah. also want to give it some sort of like unique characteristic. Yeah, exactly. Are the worms, is it like that whole like miniature kind of aspect or is it like how did the like, I think what they are actually they? had like they had like a head section that they they would use yeah and then they would have like a back and segments you know okay they probably did have some model shots as well I'm guessing okay yeah because I feel like a lot of those um you think of like whenever I was thinking about the worms I was thinking about Jurassic Park oh, yeah. and like how those dinosaurs like to this day are like one of the most realistic looking yeah. like what you call them like just animatronics or yeah i think so and but that when you look at the behind the scenes they had so much trouble with them especially during like the raining scenes where they get wet oh, they yeah. short out so it's like all these from like the 80s and 90s and yeah all these animatronics look so actually really good yeah i don't think that it was animatronic probably, but it was like sectioned but... off yeah because they didn't have like the like the jurassic park like the scene where you need to see the whole body and right 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 exactly yeah but the worms didn't feel cheesy in most parts yeah i would say in the say majority of the movie they looked pretty cool yeah i agree just the fighting part was like okay <laughs> well it's like when you have them all like lined up and they're all like quote-unquote like roaring <laughs> but they're not like doing anything yeah and it's like oh, okay yeah <laughs> Okay, so then there was a costume um, documentary. Apparently, it took, they had four months and they made 9,000 costumes. Whoa. <laughs> they said they worked all night many times to get it done. Usually, they were getting it done at the last minute. Um, wow. Sting's <laughs> scene where he comes out of the shower <laughs> was supposed to be a naked scene and he was supposed to be fully nude. He agreed to it, but at the last minute, the studio said, they couldn't do it so at midnight the night before they were going to film that scene the costume department got the call that they had to make a suit for him by the next morning so they came up with this winged suit design and you know (laughs) made it overnight um the guild navigators the ones that speak and have like the translation mic and they come in with the pilot octopilot guy Mm -hmm. Their costumes were made out of used 1920s body bags that actually had to be cleaned before they could be used. Oh my god, it's gross. (laughs) Because they still had, like, juices and stuff. (laughs) That's disgusting. I know, gross. (laughs) Oh yeah, and they didn't tell them until after it was over. (laughs) I feel like that's, like, the most David Lynch thing. Because what was it? Um, Was it Eraserhead? Or I can't remember which movie... It was where he used like gross was it animal parts or yes and yes. just I don't know if it was his decision you... <laughs> to use the body bags I think they just got Found this him. random deal on it but you know it does fit in perfectly with his with his like <laughs> using like odd things that are gross somehow yes. yes. <laughs> So the Baron's costume was based on protective industrial wear. The suit, because he had like a fat suit on basically, uh-huh. and the suit they used for him was so heavy he couldn't stand up in it. Good lord! So he was always being wheeled around or flown around. <laughs> <laughs> the still suit was the central costume of the movie, but they wanted it to seem tribal and uh-huh. functional and each suit had to be made from a fiberglass mold made from a cast of the actor's body Jesus. they all had to be handmade and had to be elaborately built up with like all these different things on top of each other uh apparently they were very comfortable until you were running around in the desert with them <laughs> which is basically all they did in those costumes right when asked if they were comfortable max von Sido said no but they look so good i'll put up with it <laughs> <laughs> and also the men liked it because it helped them seem more muscly <laughs> uh, it was like um i imagine like those like hercules kids costumes yeah. have like little puffy muscles <laughs> exactly Okay, a lot of work they d- the costume department did actually never appears on screen, unfortunately. Uh, that's a- they made they started off uh, with the idea they made this whole series of hats for the Fremen that got scrapped before filming. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that would have worked very well. Yeah, I would have to see like what like hat- Maybe they're like head wrap type things or something. Yeah, like because uh, um I don't know I I think the only issue I have with the costumes like they looked cool. But it just it felt so, like, linear in the color story. Yeah, they were all um, very... Like, bra- blacks and browns. Yeah. And it was just kind of get... It got 
I feel like they should have all been sand colored. Yeah. They're just like (laughs) at least various shades of like sand, like noticeably different. Yeah. They all kind of blended together. Um, Just like the Fremen looked really dusty. Yes. (laughs) But like I I would have appreciated more like, because they were intending them to be more like tribal, to have a little bit more like, um, I don't know, like more innate like artwork maybe on it. Because I always think about like a lot of indigenous people's clothing. It like relates to their mythology and. Yeah. I would have appreciated more like backstory. More individual looking yeah 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 just more noticeable definitely and maybe they were just like these things are so difficult to build on their own (laughs) we have to put more work into it (laughs) i I don't blame the the costume department at all Nine thousand costumes is insane that is insane uh so i also have some deleted scenes but i figure maybe i'll wait until after we can do it at the end okay okay so let's get into the recap yeah Okay, so the last thing we saw was the Harkonnens started to attack, and there were mm-hmm. lots of bombs and spaceships and stuff. Okay, so back in. So we start off, Paul and Jessica are drugged, and they're gagged. And the Baron, he's floating in. Gross. And uh, we see Dr. We have a little shot of Dr. Yui mm-hmm. crying to himself. Which I'm like, thank goodness we have that one moment so that we can see that he feels bad for this crap. (laughs) Yeah, seriously, some sort of like redemptive something. Yeah. (laughs) The Baron comes in and he disgustingly spits on Jessica. And he tells, I don't remember what that other Harkonnen guy's name was. Not Um, Harkonnen. Um, What is it? Mintat? Is is it played by Peter DeFry? Oh, I think his name is... Is that his name? Peter? Is his name Peter? Peter DeFry. <laughs> Let me look it up real quick because I remember Peter? seeing Because his face reminds me of um, his name. I'm trying to, I think it's Peter DeFry. I think so. I can't find it for some reason. It's okay. Not well, the, the other eyebrow guy, the Harkonnen eyebrow guy. The, the, <laughs> the skinnier young one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, he, he says to kill them. So then we see Sting torturing Leto. <laughs> and Jack Nance is ordered to take Paula Dant. Jess- Paula, Dan, Jessica to the desert where they will never be found. Paul and, oh my God, my <laughs> Paula, Dan. Paula, Dan. <laughs> oh, typos. So Jack Nance is ordered to take Paul and Jessica to the desert where they will never be found. Although he doesn't end up taking them, but I guess he just gives it to some other below him. Right. Delegates. Yeah. <laughs> Paul sees Duncan being killed as he's hauled away. Duncan in his square hollow suit thing. Oh, yeah. That was, like, because um, the suits, I always thought of it as, like, the shield kind of, like. Yeah. And whenever, like, that thing went, it like, got, looked like it got absorbed by it. So I was like, oh, cool. Like, they reflect <laughs> things. And he just died. <laughs> I was like, oh, Well, okay. it must have been going slow because at the beginning we imply that the only way to get through is, like, slow deliberate movement so it must have been some crazy gun some sort of like gadget they made for it yeah that makes sense and then we see dr yui be killed kind of unceremoniously it's just like stab oh yeah we killed your wife well why don't you join her (laughs) (laughs) and he has a very dramatic death (laughs) (laughs) say not what you would expect from being stabbed in the back (laughs) no there's a lot of unrealistic stabbings in this movie (laughs) (laughs) okay so on the ship jessica sees the signs that Huey has left for her, these diamonds. And Paul manages to use his parcel tongue on the captors. <laughs> <laughs> and he tells them to remove Jessica's gag. And then she takes over and she gets the guy to, to uh, stab the other guy and right. to cut their bonds. And then does she get him to kill himself or does Paul kill him? Oh my gosh, I don't remember. It I all happened so fast. I think Paul kills. <laughs> yeah, I think he knocks him out or something. Yeah. So then we see the Baron, and he is predictably, as Yui predicted, gloating over Leto because he can't help himself. Of course. And unfortunately, Leto's signet ring is missing, and that's all the Baron wanted. <laughs> Leto is too drugged to gas the right person. And I have to tell you, up until this point, when they first unveiled the whole tooth gassing thing i was uh-huh. like that's never gonna work there's no way you're gonna kill the baron in like five <laughs> minutes of this movie and 
so I wasn't totally shocked that he didn't, but I was right. also really, really rooting for his death by that point. <laughs> yeah. I was like, he's a very unlikable person. He just kept getting worse and worse and worse. Although he does have the most satisfying death in the movie. Let's <laughs> <laughs> say, I, well, we'll get to it. We'll, get to it. we'll definitely get to it. So he doesn't guess the right person. He guesses the guy who we can't remember his name. Um, and he also dies. And Paul and Jessica feel it. And Jessica starts crying. And the Baron is very happy to still be alive. <laughs> <laughs> I'm alive. <laughs> Okay, Paul has to make an emergency landing in the South Polar region near a small rock because it's the only rock he can find. They grab the still suits and run for the rocks. And Paul has a epiphany in the desert. He says he's gone numb. Where are my feelings? <laughs> <laughs> he sees the second moon and has a vision knowing that about the emperor and how they want him dead. He also knows that his mother is now pregnant. And I was thinking, David Lynch must have loved doing all these dream sequences. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was like right up his alley. Yeah. So Paul th- knows that the spice is changing him, and he screams into the sky for his father. <laughs> and he promises him that someday the sleeper will awaken, and he will avenge his death. So the Harkonnens are back in power, and they send poor Dr. Kynes, Max von Sydow, to die in the desert. And they have Gurney, Sir Patrick Stewart, locked up. And Paul and his mom on a barren rock know they have to get to the mountains. So he plants the thumper that I guess Yui left for him. And then they try to shuffle and stutter step their way over there not to draw attention to themselves. Because even though this is barely set up in the movie, I feel like it's like... It's not very... uh like apparent yeah but they're the worms are attracted to rhythm so if you walk in a normal rhythmic fashion they'll be attracted to you so you can notice when the fremen are walking around in the desert they're all kind of like step step shuffle shuffle step shuffle shuffle step right. step step <laughs> and so they're attempting it i don't see how you can not shuffle step when you're walking in sand dunes but <laughs> i was just about to say uh, i would be like the perfect like not worm attractor because <laughs> I feel like walking up that loose sand dunes and everything I would be falling over and the worm would be like this is not a rhythm yeah well, this is random as <laughs> exactly they're tripping the whole time too mm-hmm. but I guess they're walking rhythmically enough because it attracts the worm and it's coming and it's making its uh, worm sign which is lightning <laughs> <laughs> like orangey yeah lightning and it's apparently really loud. They're like, it's deafening. And they make a run for it. And there's a lot of tripping. <laughs> <laughs> like the most 80s like run sequence. I always think of like horror movies. I know. I hate tripping in movies so much. It just, it's just got to make sense. I got to <laughs> see The Rock. The Walking Dead is the worst. I had to stop watching that show because of all the stupid all those tripping. tripping. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's, to me, I find like, scary parts like that like more scary if like they're not tripping and falling and it's still catching up or like yes i think that's more effective totally but it doesn't fill as much time (laughs) (laughs) nope so uh they they get to the safety of the rocks just in time but the worm is still trying to eat them and kind of like uh oh paul first he smells the spice on the worm and has like this realization of Maybe the worm is a spice, but when it's trying to attack them, it causes this rock slide that sends Paul spilling and sliding and <laughs> generally looks very, very painful. And just as the worm looks like it's going to eat him, we hear this thumper in the distance that draws it away. Well, also, Paul tells us there's what sort of a thumper in the distance. <laughs> but he knows that they're not alone. Someone's here. <laughs> so him and Jessica are walking up these carved steps and they're noticing this is someone must be here you know because there's these carved steps right and they meet up with big sneaky head (laughs) 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 jessica almost immediately holds him hostage and he can see her worth by her strength (laughs) she's worth twice her weight in water (laughs) (laughs) at least it's like i appreciated this because i feel like most 80s like movies with heroines they would be like find the worth in like her beauty or something and she was just they were like oh you immediately tried to kill us you're really powerful and we appreciate (laughs) that (laughs) 
So they say if that if she'll teach them their weirding way, they will have sanctuary. And Paul meets Chani, the girl from his dreams. <laughs> <laughs> Every time he meets her, I go, you're the girl from my dreams. And then he goes, the girl from my dreams. <laughs> <laughs> they uh, So then Paul and Jessica get new names, secret ones and public ones. And Paul wants to name himself after that second moon, which I was so convinced that he was going to go to that moon. Yeah. But they never went to the moon. Not if yet. you know in a future Dune book, if he goes to the moon or if the moon has anything to do with it, please let me know. I should probably read the books, but you can just tell me if you want. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit easier. I don't mind spoilers. So, okay, the fr- they're going on a tour. The Fremen have millions of decaliters of water, thousands of caches of them. And their plan basically is to terraform once they have enough water. So then we're back to the Harkonnens. The Baron is floating around in circles while cackling hysterically. And he puts Ramon, or Ginger 2, in charge of Arrakis. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. There's this gross cow hanging thing. Yeah. I um, I I think that that was like the most David Lynchy scene <laughs> yes. to me because it was like equal parts like weird and gross and gross noises and grossness. But also, I'm like, so we still have cows 8,000 years in the future. <laughs> I would like to see where these cows live. I know. It's still kind of funny, even in its yeah. grossness. So, okay. So, Ramon, or whatever his name is, goes off, and Sting comes out of his steam bath. <laughs> <laughs> and the Baron seems very lustful over him, which I think it's his nephew. I guess they don't really have any sense of propriety in this society. <laughs> Apparently not. Well, I was like... Wondering if it was one of those things where, because I can't remember the relationship, but I was like, it would make sense to me if like Sting's character was created like artificially as like the perfect specimen, Harkonnen specimen, and that the Baron wants to look like that, wants to be him. Yeah, I would like to know a lot more about the Sting Fade character because I feel like he does nothing in this movie except walk around naked and have one pathetic fight at the end yeah (laughs) i was related i was because it reminds me of this aspect in one of my other shows where there is this character who basically has like figured out how to live forever but to do that he has to like transfer his consciousness kind of to this like a younger person's Uh body and it's like this thing where he has to find the perfect specimen with the perfect powers and the perfect like like lineage and it's just like this whole thing. It kind of reminded me of that because of the way that he like obsesses over this person that he finds in the series. It's a similar to the way Baron kind of oh. obsesses over. It. So that's why I was thinking like, oh, is it like some weird like artificial thing? Yeah, but I, I don't know. I don't know. Again, I really don't want to know the ins and outs and no. intricacies of the Harkonnen society, <laughs> to tell you the truth. It's too disgusting for me. No, thank you. Uh, so back um, in the desert, the Fremen want Jessica to become the new Reverend Mother since their own is dying. And to do that, she has to drink the water of life and shave her head. And she's afraid for her baby. Oh. And she manages to get through the waters of life. The other Reverend Mother dies, lets yeah. herself die at that moment. But almost immediately, Jessica gives premature birth, and the baby is born with all of the powers of a reverend mother, and apparently so cool. grows really fast. And I can't wait till she actually appears, because... I know, it's the best part. <laughs> she really steals the show in the end. So, Sting and the Baron have this cat in a contraption, and they bring it to Thuther, who apparently has to milk this cat for an antidote so that he, yeah. it's very... Odd. Yeah, it's just like their way, I guess, of controlling him. Back in the desert, Paul is making out with Chani, and <laughs> <laughs> he has to give this speech for the Fremen warriors, and he's telling them that he's going to teach them the weirding way, and he wants to crush the entire spice mining industry. Because when the spice flow stops, the emperor will be forced to deal with them. And he demonstrates the weirding device um, on the Fremen's hardest stone. (laughs) (laughs) And of course these, I was like, oh my god, I wrote, of course these highest shit Fremen will be good at weirding. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's almost like an immediate pickup, like, oh my god, we get it. Of course, because they're high. I mean, their eyes have turned blue, they're so high all the time. Right. Uh, so Paul's name basically immediately becomes this killing word. So they can use his name to kill with this weirding devices. 
But now he must conquer the worm. <laughs> so they give him a fancy hoe and a thumper. <laughs> and he sets the thumper down to draw the worm. And he goes through his fear. He must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. And he attracts the biggest of the sandworms. Of course. <laughs> it is the legend. <laughs> <laughs> I would have appreciated like if these worms had like names. Yes. That would have been like like really scary Big names. Bertha. <laughs> really scary names like Big Bertha. <laughs> Large Marge. <laughs> the scariest woman in television. Okay, so Paul runs up and shoves his spade in between the body segments and just rise it up. I don't know how it works. I don't think yeah, it makes sense, we'll but it works. <laughs> we were we were talking about theories of maybe when the worm has an injury, it exposes it to the sun yes. and it heals, but we really don't know. We also could probably answer all of our questions by reading books, but... <laughs> or looking at the Wikipedia problem. Yeah, but we'd rather people just tell us. <laughs> yes, well, we're doing, we're basing it off the movie, so we're exactly. basing it on what the movie is telling us. Exactly. So he attaches a couple of ropes and rides it like an elephant. <laughs> <laughs> and the rest of the gang runs up and hops on board, and they ride to victorious music. <laughs> <laughs> so Paul gets like a, a guard patrol or whatever, and they go out and destroy some troops because now it's time for action. They got to put this play into action. They also, and some mining machines, and they're they're very effective. Like they just oh, yeah. shoot it right out of the sky. Back at base. Ginger, too, he has heard of Mohadim. Mm-hmm. And for the next two years, this is like they do a two-year montage. Yeah. Um, Paul is bringing the spice production to a standstill. Ginger, too, <laughs> what's his name? Raban. Raban yes. tries to hide all this uprising from the Baron. Paul's sister is aging rapidly and is very powerful. And Paul and Chani's love grows. <laughs> <laughs> I would have like, expected, because um, we were kind of hit with this like two-year advancement out of nowhere. And I would have expected like a beard or some sort of like <laughs> aging, kind of like we're in the desert yeah. kind of thing that most movies do. But he's still very clean shaven. Still baby face. Oh, also, while this montage is going on at the end of it, they find, they rescue slash recruit Gurney right. back into the fold. And, um, oh yeah, we noticed, oh my God, we didn't even mention, we said at the top, but we figured out Gurney had the dog and when he went into battle, he was carrying it. He was carrying the pug. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay. The emperor, he's getting a report from the guild. These guild people really think they run the whole show. They treat the emperor as if he has zero power. (laughs) (laughs) So they say they're giving him one last chance and... I said, there are a lot of talk, but they can't seem to fix any of these issues on their own. So <laughs> I don't no. know how much power they really have, besides yeah. the fact that they control these space folding. Yeah, I would have like um, liked some sort of like like backstory or like reason as to like why they have to like stay in the shadows and like uh, maybe also like when they came in, be like, you have one more chance. Maybe a demonstration of like their quote unquote like abilities or like some sort of like intimidation yeah, factor that to been see. Nice what kind of powers they have or something yeah pretty cool um so they they specifically do not want paul taking the waters of life so i guess they <laughs> kind of have an idea um, right but i think paul is spying on them because it seems like it yeah and the emperor <laughs> says that he wants genocide on arrakis oh, God. he's like just destroy them all so paul i guess saw all this and knows that he now has to drink the waters of life <laughs> they don't want me to do it i gotta do it right but chani is very worried for him apparently there was this whole scene, and maybe uh, when we get to the, spe- uh, the deleted scenes, we'll see what it is. But there was a bunch that happens here that they cut out and changed to this desert version that they did. Uh-huh. I think, like, the mom and sister were involved in the original version. Uh-huh. It was, like, a whole ceremony type thing. So they run out to the desert and tie him up, and she administers it to him. <laughs> <laughs> and I said... They should probably take that weirding module off of him before he takes these waters of life because I feel like it could be dangerous. You know, yeah, like you're screaming and you don't know what's <laughs> going to happen. You got this deadly thing attached to your vo- voice. <laughs> but they don't. And it's fine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's perfectly safe. So he's, yeah, I guess he's having visions and there's like water and worms and spice and screaming. And Paul connects to this place that the 
Benny Gesserit weren't allowed to go. And he connects to the worms and they all come up and surround them, but they don't attack. And Paul starts bleeding from his eye and Jessica and Alia, his little sister, get nosebleeds, as do all the other Benny Gesserits that we see. Right. Paul finds the place that women cannot look. And now I think it's saying he understands how to bend space himself and he gains the power to destroy the spice forever. And I said, probably a good idea, all things considered. Seriously. <laughs> the sleeper has awakened and the Fremen just straight up worship him now. Uh, they like chant his name and everything. And he gives them this pre-battle speech and he says, we come for you, Emperor. Long live the fighters. <laughs> <laughs> and the Baron is back. I think that's all. I think he comes back to the planet. Yes. The Baron goes back to the planet. So now lots of weird, now they're weirding Fremen. Because <laughs> right. they got all the weirding modules. And they're out there planting thumpers in the desert. And Paul watches with some trippy binoculars. <laughs> <laughs> they're going to blow a hole in the shield. And they have worm sign, the likes of which God has never seen. <laughs> <laughs> and they, all of the Fremen start mounting the worms. Then we see the Baron meet with the Emperor. And the Emperor's pissed. <laughs> He's like, bring in that disgusting floating man. <laughs> and um, when the Emperor comes in, there's a Ginger Two's head. <laughs> on a pike yeah. or something, on a plate. Yeah. And as he's getting a dressing down, Alia shows up. And the Reverend Mother is like hissing at her and is very threatened by her and tells her to, tells them to kill the abomination. But then little Alia uses her parcel tongue on her. Yeah, she's like, actually, no. I'm more powerful. I'm way more powerful. And she makes her tell everybody like that Paul is the savior and yada, yada, yada. Right. So Paul and Co. are using atomic bombs to blow a hole in the wall. <laughs> I, was like, I saw a lot of blue and green flame at the top. Yeah. I was like, I don't care what you're wearing. I wouldn't stand that close to an atomic explosion no. if I were you. Sand and worms flow through this Opening. thing. Which, when I saw the shield, it looked like a glass something. But Almost. this looked like rocks. So yeah. I don't know if what but maybe it was like conceal in the rocks or something yeah maybe um ba, 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 ba. where was i oh <laughs> i said a little alicia witt is creeptacular <laughs> yeah. she's a very creepy little girl yes i love this whole scene with her and the baron but uh first we have to say uh, paul is ready for vengeance and between the worms and the weirding fremen they have all of the advantages they're shooting ships from the sky and nothing seems to hurt the worms at all or no. them when they're on the backs of them. Alia, however, is making sure that the Baron doesn't get away. <laughs> <laughs> Wait for my brother. <laughs> the worms are squishing people and eating people and shooting spice breath at people. <laughs> <laughs> and Alia, she poisons the Baron and then she pulls out his plugs and then he spins like a top. Floats outside and gets swallowed by a worm, and it's like the most satisfying death in this whole movie because yes. he dies every way possible, <laughs> every like bad way. And he is the grossest. Yes, <laughs> it was like the most justified way because I always feel like these movies, a lot of these, uh, a lot of movies will have like they'll like kill a character but like do it like way too much. Like I always think of like Jurassic World where it's like the um, did you ever see Jurassic World? Yeah. Where um, the woman who's, like, watching them on the kids on the island, she gets, like, picked up by a pterodactyl, <laughs> then gets, like, in the mouth of another creature, and then it gets that creature gets eaten by the yes. giant water creature, and it's like, she didn't do anything. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's just, like, this overkill. But no. this, this was perfect. Baron deserved it, though. Yeah, he yeah. was the worst. <laughs> um, and then Alia has... So this is, like, where Alia suddenly becomes the star of this movie. Like, yes. first she kills the Baron, and, like, the most badass death of the movie and then she has this crazy knife wielding feeling herself like badass laughing. moment like Woo. slow motion it's so <laughs> amazing <laughs> she has also the best line at the end but yes. um back in the palace paul and his people are making demands of the emperor he overpowers the reverend mother with his superior parcel tongue and paul wants to fight sting just for fun <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> Luckily, the drum line is ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, we're for prep, prepped for battle. <laughs> we're prepped for a fight. It's a good thing he gets this fight, honestly, because up until now, Sting hasn't done much but look pretty and make the faces. He's yes. very good at the looks. He's very constantly making faces. It almost looks like Sting's going to win for a second. There's a lot of crotch hitting. <laughs> but Paul is just putting on a show. And the show ends with him breaking Sting and the floor open with a single word from his voice. And Everyone is shocked. Yes. And Paul makes it rain. I think he says, God created Arrakis to train the faithful. And the terraforming has begun. And little sis is like, how can this be? <laughs> because he is the Quitsack Hadarak. <laughs> <laughs> and she steals the last 10 minutes of the movie. Yes, she's so good. <laughs> and then we get an ocean for the closing credits. There's like cast pictures and everything. Yes, the most 80s piano. Like, <laughs> doo -doo -doo. It's super fun. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It reminds me of like, an 80s like rom-com like or maybe like a romantic drama almost like the way like the waves crashing i picture like you know a house on the beach and this lover's you know <laughs> drama of trying to be together yeah super <laughs> super 80s and i love it definitely should we go over the deleted scenes real quick yeah <laughs> There's actually, like, um, an introduction by Rafaela De Laurentiis for the deleted scenes. Okay. So when they finished the principal photography, they did a rough cut of the footage they had. And it was, like, four hours, mostly because it's such a complex and difficult story to tell. Right. And there's so many characters and dialogue, but they knew that they were going to have to really cut it down. And so that's part of where he wrote that desert scene of taking the waters of life to like really bridge a big gap so they could cut a lot of it right that scene replaced like seven scenes in the second act oh wow <laughs> yeah so this kind of led to the perception that it was there was like a four hour director's cut of mm -hmm. the movie out there somewhere but there really isn't they just originally had four hours of footage to cut down they but wow. they never put it together in like a director's cut or anything like that gotcha so it's not formally stitched yeah there was a scene with more of the intro with emperor's daughter explaining spice more <laughs> yeah i would have appreciated that <laughs> she explains what it does and why those guys have red lips basically just talking about how all the like all these groups use it. Right. Also how the Bene Gesserit use it and that she, the Empress's daughter is, or the Emperor's daughter is also one of the, she's a part of the Bene Gesserit. Oh, why did yeah. that? I thought that was interesting. Yeah. And she also explains more about Jessica and her son. Okay. Okay. So then there's also, I said, oh, okay. So the, the Fremen Reverend mother has a scene where she's kind of like doing the psychic lady speaking voiceover stuff. Uh-huh. And she's talking about how we know this and that. And I, yeah, I don't think that scene had much of a point because I didn't write down any actual information right. except for <laughs> she has no eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have a scene with Thother talking to Leto about the prophecy and mm -hmm. about Paul. Probably not really necessary. Probably. One of showing jessica oh there's a yeah okay because i was wondering if i had forgotten this scene but it was a deleted scene but this one actually i think is important because i actually read this scene in the book one where jessica and shout out mape uh -huh. she gives her this knife and it's called the maker and once you show it to someone else it has to bloody or once someone else has it it has to bloody the person who originally was holding it or something oh. and so she just gives her like a little cut instead little of like killing her, which she kind of expected, I think. It, but it proves that Jessica is the one. Oh, yeah. It has to take the blood of anyone who sees it. So Jessica cuts her. Gotcha. And then we have some another scene of some more stuff of Paul in the desert with Jessica cursing his fate. <laughs> Unnecessary. <laughs> Woe is me. We see Paul stab a guy and Jessica asking him how it feels to be a killer and... He starts crying, and the Fremen are very interested in his tears, and they say, he gives water to the dead. 
<laughs> Which is kind of interesting theoretical scene, but doesn't yeah. really move the story along very much. No. And we kind of get that when the father is dying and he's like, I give my waters for my son, kind of. Right. It's kind of a similar vibe. Yeah. And then when uh, Paul takes the waters of life and we see Alia and the mom with their bloody noses, we see Alia saying that the guild is fighting her and that they are behind everything. So oh. Alia's a little more Intuitive. in the mix. Yeah. And we see a little bit of Paul dreaming of his destiny. And we see Thuther being saved by Paul from the Harkonnens. This is in the last scene with the Emperor. Thuther mm-hmm. is there and he kind of say not saves him but like you know brings him back to their side and deprograms him a little bit but he ends up dying because he pulls his own plug because he has i guess the harkonnens put something in his brain to make him stab paul but instead of doing it he pulls pulls his own own plug plug. yeah it's sad i'm glad they didn't put that in there because i don't want to see that i know (laughs) and then the final one which really is like puts a whole spin on it but Paul takes the emperor's daughter as his wife and he assures Chani that he'll never touch or even look at the princess (laughs) and she seems kind of okay with it and Jessica sympathizes with her because that was basically her life (laughs) right and those are the the deleted scenes interesting some cool ones should we say our favorite scenes sure trying to think <laughs> well in the first half my favorite scene was definitely the david lynch oh yeah that's a good as one. A spice guy but i will say in the second half any of the alia stuff i loved her yes. killing the baron and i loved her like moment righteous yeah windblown <laughs> and i loved her he is the quit sex <laughs> <laughs> that was she's like the best part yeah in my opinion <laughs> I kind of like I really liked the scenes it's not like really a specific like one scene but like when they find the Fremen it's kind of going through like their whole like section of like underground stuff and it just looks super cool and vast uh-huh. and it looks like it doesn't look like a movie set I love the how like it looks like it's part of that planet like it doesn't look cheesy at all yeah it just looks really cool and almost like it reminds me of an uh, alien I don't know if it's maybe it's one of the alien movies I think probably one of the newer ones where they like go and they find all the eggs and it's like underground in this like cavernous area where Uh it's like super cool and like alien looking (laughs) but it looks like an underground temple almost yeah and that I love all those kind of things it looks really cool yeah yeah I would have I would have loved to see more of like just Fremen culture culture society Mm -hmm. you know I want to know more yeah exactly but I guess maybe we'll see some more in the uh, new Dune movie. Yeah. We'll definitely I have to so. watch that and do like one of our check-ins, talk about talk it. Talk about something. it. Yeah, that's yeah. a great idea. Because <laughs> I definitely want one. I'm excited for it. <laughs> Should we take our quiz now? Yes. You ready? Yes. Okay, it's which Dune character are you? <laughs> This is probably also based on the book. So there might be right. characters we don't even know. We can <laughs> we can uh, figure them out as we go. Yes. <laughs> All right. Question one. Which is more dangerous, your mind or your body? My mind, my body, or I try to keep them in balance. My mind. <laughs> yeah. As of right now, my mind. All right. Question two. Are you more or less spiritual than most people? I would say personally, I'm less spiritual. I feel like I'm becoming more in certain ways, but I don't yeah. know if you could, yeah, okay. I don't know. I would say spiritual is like less like religious and more of like in tune with like maybe like more of like the ancient kind of like ways of looking at the universe and how everything plays off each other. And... Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely, I go through phases, but we'll say I'm yeah. in a more spiritual phase at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> Question three Would you rather always be moving forward or would you rather focus on stability? Always be moving forward. Focus on stability. I'm a moving forward person. Mm. I always want to keep moving. Yeah, I'm going to say that. Although I think I would say equal amounts of both, honestly. All right, question four. Leader, team player, or loner? Um, If I had my druthers, I would say leader. (laughs) (laughs) I'm generally a loner, though, unfortunately. (laughs) Yeah, I would say, yeah, leader for me if I had the right opportunity. Okay, question five. Which of these abilities would you most like to have? To be able to predict events with an incredible high degree of success? To be able to read people's true intentions and meanings? 
to be an unstoppable fighter, or to know exactly how to motivate people to do as I wish. Ooh, that's a hard one. Uh... <laughs> so I want to know people's true intentions and meanings, or do I want to make them do what I want? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say be able to read people's true intentions and meanings. I, was... I feel like that's my biggest problem. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking about that, but then I always think about like those movies where like the character has powers that do that. Sometimes oh. I wish I could convince anyone to do anything, so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm going to say to motivate people to do as I wish. Good. I would be responsible. <laughs> all right. I'll um, tell you what they want to do and you can be like, all right, let's make them do this. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you got to do it. I'd make people do things that they are not ready for. I mean, they don't want to do, but they know they have to do it to make themselves better. <laughs> All right, question six. Are you more likely to dress for style, comfort, or practicality? Style for me. Comfort or practicality, but mostly comfort. Question seven. Which is worse, being too passive or too combative? I think being too combative is worse. That's what I was going to say. I'm not... I find it the most annoying. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm not... Like, those aggro people, I'm like, no, thank you. Although being too passive can be really annoying, too. Yeah. Question eight, which anxiety dream would you be more likely to have? Not wearing any clothes, financial disaster, someone close to me dies, or career disaster? Someone close to me dies. <laughs> yeah, that's... I've never had one of any of these, but I um, have had, like, people close to me being injured and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to do, yeah, someone close to me dies is for me. So I've not, I think that's, I've only had, I never had a career or financial disaster dream, or <laughs> and I've never had one of those, like, naked classroom dreams so that's and i've had but i've had the other one question nine do you think people are more dangerous in their actions or in what they neglect actions are more dangerous neglect is more dangerous neglect yeah i'm gonna go with that question 10 which would you most like to live next to an ocean a forest or a mountain oh so many good choices in this one i'm gonna say a forest i'm gonna say an ocean because it never, like, are my, am I going to be technologically advanced or am I going to need to have, like, a food source? Like, <laughs> True. All these questions. You can always get what you need from the ocean. Question 11. Do you have more regrets over things you've done or things you never did? Ugh, things you never did, of course. Um, for me. <laughs> honestly, for me, it's, I mean, I've not, like, done any bad I things. I tend to try to do the things that I, like, I tend to try to not have that as my regret. I'd much rather regret something I did never do than something I didn't do, you know? Right. Yeah, I'm going to do things I have not done. All right. Question 12. How likely are you to restrict your actions, such as using less water or driving less, for the greater good? More likely than most. <laughs> I say more likely than most. I mean, it's pretty apparent with this <laughs> what pandemic. What most people do. <laughs> well, like with this pandemic and the whole, like, just the basic, like, ask of wearing a mask like most people like not most people but people some people aren't just not willing to do something so easy yeah that's true but i i'm willing to do whatever question 13 which do you think would corrupt someone more to be the wealthiest person in the world to have total control over the most powerful army in the world total control over the most powerful army most likely yeah um hmm. yeah to to corrupt you more probably yeah i would think being wealthy it could definitely corrupt you. I mean, it probably would, but I think it's, you could be more altruistic than an army. That's just like an automatic power move. Aggressive thing. Yeah. I think it's more of like a, a money versus power yeah. kind of deal. And I would, if I were to have lots of money, I would probably, my like biggest crime would be to kind of like not be involved in what's going on in the yeah. world. <laughs> <laughs> not to use my money for bad things. Exactly. Question 14. I see blood and I help, have to look away. I'm glad it's not mine. Oh, well, see, I, my inclination would be to help, but I will pass out. <laughs> oh, no. So, have to look away for you? I guess it's going to have to be to have to look away. But I would uh, try. Sometimes in those situations, though, I could be shocked into, like, doing, being fine. Yeah, just, like, autopilot, yeah. like, do whatever. I'm going to say help because my mom's a nurse, and I feel like I've got some of those... <laughs> Automatic response things. Your boss asks you to do something you think you might be wrong. You ask your boss to explain why, suggest your boss might be wrong, do what your boss says, or quit to preserve your integrity. I 
definitely would suggest my boss might be wrong. Yes. I am not one to listen to people be wrong without calling it Yes. Out. Yeah, I feel like that's... a flaw sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's better than just quitting because then you might be able to change someone's mind. True. And then you'd be giving up. <laughs> and I don't exactly. like to do that either. <laughs> exactly. All right. Question 16. When you examine yourself with your inward eye, do you like what you see? Mostly yes or mostly no? Mostly yes. Mostly yes for me. <laughs> Question 17. Would you work together with an enemy to confront a mutual threat? Yes. Maybe, but only if I really had to. Not a chance. Mm. Yes. Depends on what enemy. But I, I would say maybe, but only if I really had to. Question 18. You find yourself frustrated while working on a particularly difficult task. You ask for help from the smartest person you can think of. Keep working at it by yourself. Eventually you'll get it. Find someone more qualified to complete the task. <laughs> um, probably start off by asking for help from the smartest person I can think of. The most knowledgeable in that subject. <laughs> yes. I am a stubborn person, so I think I would keep working at it by myself. It's <laughs> like, I will do this myself. Question 19. If you were a powerful figure, how would you handle dealing with the public? Better than most or worse than most? I think better than most. Yeah. I'm good at dealing with people. difficult things. People. <laughs> yeah, I think we're both pretty empathetic people. Yeah. We understand people. <laughs> All right, final question. That which doesn't kill you, makes you stronger, can still ruin your life. Uh, both. <laughs> I'll go for the more optimistic one. <laughs> makes you stronger? Yeah. I'm going to go with that as well. It's good to look more optimistically. <laughs> Who'd you get? I got Paul. Ooh. <laughs> Did you get Paul? No, I got Duke Leo Atreides. Oh, okay, good. I'm glad we didn't get the same person. I Okay, mine says Paul Muad'Dib. Oh, that's how you spell it. <laughs> <laughs> Atreides. Muad'Dib Usul, the Quitsack Haderach. I did not notice any of those words. Okay. You may go by many names, but the balance required of the universe always guides your hand. Oh, oh okay. Wow. I like it. All I right. wish I felt that to be true. But... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it is. Maybe it's in waiting. All right. For Duke Leto Atreides. Honorable and prudent, you seek the most economical course of action while trying to do as much good along the way as possible. Oh, it's very nice. That's great. I would like to think that's true. <laughs> that was a good quiz. I know. That was fun. It didn't take nearly as long as I thought it would. <laughs> no. <laughs> 20 questions. I really like the questions because I wasn't like, a lot of these other quizzes will be like kind of leading you to like one character yeah. being like, this character likes toast and be like, what's your favorite breakfast item? Toast. Yeah, and exactly. it's like, no. But this one was more like about character. Yeah. Uh, I love that. Yeah. And it even had the right uh, picture. like the... Yeah, the movie picture. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so final thoughts on Dune. Yes. I enjoyed it the second time I watched it. I think it's one of those movies where you kind of appreciate the um the things that didn't make sense the first time yes. the second time and the third time you know however time you watch <laughs> it i would suggest that you be in the mood for a little bit cheesy in some points sci-fi 80s movie like i think you have to be in the mood to watch this yes be in the mood to watch a movie that's probably not going to be good <laughs> per se but because otherwise like i think the first time i watched it i just was not in the mood and so i kind of harped on more of the things i didn't like and how like Oh, I just, I did not care for this movie. Uh, but I think the more I watch it, the more I appreciate the work that went into it. And I appreciate the costumes and like the sets, especially. Yeah. You just see how much like more effort was put into it. Yeah, I agree. I personally would say watch it, uh, you know, my personal suggestion for any David Lynch is to watch it more than once because you find my personal experience with him has been, it's a so much better the second time. Right. But um, my, I would suggest if you want to watch it, watch it with a friend. You know, yes. have a fun, crazy 80s movie night where you can talk and make fun of it. Because, you know, oh, yeah. you're not going to catch everything that's going to happen. No. Maybe read the Wikipedia before you even start it. I don't know. <laughs> that's a good idea. Or even, um, I would suggest for this movie, it's a good movie to watch in segments. Like, not all at once. Yeah. Just watch like maybe even, half and half. Yeah, like, follow the podcast yeah, episode. Yeah, follow the podcast. <laughs> um, but I will say, I was way more impressed than I thought I would be I mm -hmm. you know had heard and I had I had watched it the one time and not found anything enough to draw my attention in you know so right. like 
but this time I, I really appreciate it. I thought it looked really good, all things considered. I uh-huh. mean, it kind of reminded me of like one of those old classic movies, like a big sweeping epic with like the yeah. types of model shots and stuff they were using. Especially with the Blu-ray, I thought it just really Hot. looked great. I loved the costumes. I loved, well, I mean, I, I loved some of the costumes. I loved Jessica's costumes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I thought that they looked all really well made and it was also very detailed and i kind of really like the story it, it does make me want to learn more about dune and yeah i was i was just gonna say i it really made me curious to like of all like just i wanted to learn more about like mythology of it like where do these like powers like what is the origin of them yeah. and like like what are the what is the history of these peoples like i would just really want to learn more about the characters yeah and the the people the only thing that makes me sad about it is that david lynch doesn't have any like he disavows it you know he doesn't have anything good to say about it and i feel like it's kind of one of those things where you make something when you're younger and nothing goes right and you're like oh that's the worst experience i hate it but like years later looking back on it with some perspective i think if he were to just you know be in the right mood himself and sit back and watch it he'll he might look at it differently and think you know this has actually got a lot of things that i really do a lot love of qualities. about it yeah and i think you can really see his influence on it and mm-hmm. watching it made me think you know if you were to have directed star wars with someone else's script you know i think you would have actually done a really good job because oh, visually yeah. i thought it all looked you know comparable to star Wars. oh yeah yeah i would say like really i think the only things that make it just not as grand are, I think, the um, the score. So Star Wars has that really unique score, and it sounds so yeah. huge. And then um, I think it's just... But I do love a crazy 80s score, man. Yes. <laughs> I do love that. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah. Um, I do wonder, though, if maybe he still just does has, like, a dislike for it because he looks back on all his work, and he's like, this is, like, probably one of the only things that I didn't, like... It's not 100% mine, yeah. and it's just, it doesn't feel right maybe to him. So I could I could see maybe that's why he's just so detached from it. Yeah, but I think it's fun, you know? Oh, yeah. And I hope someday he does look back on it. And you know mm-hmm. what I would really love, and I know it'll never happen, but I would love for him to take whatever footage remains, the original, and remake it. However, he now would put it together because oh, I would yeah. love to see the evolution of how he would put it together. You know, would he take out all the voiceover? Or would he take out some of the voiceover? How would he change the like atomic blowing up the wall scene and the right. dream sequences? I just think he's explored those kinds of things so much more that, mm-hmm. you know, I'd, I'd love to see the like four hour cut where there's just a lot of staring <laughs> <laughs> and just a lot of it just tensed yeah. no dialogue moments but i thought it was a fun david ledge to do for the summer oh, yeah. yeah and you know who doesn't love some sandworms <laughs> <laughs> very scary sandworms yes <laughs> it was fun all right Well, should we just do recommendations then? Sure. Do you want me to go first or do you want to go first? Um, I can go first if you'd like. Sure. I, this week, am going, since this is probably a lot of people's, not everyone for sure, but a lot of people probably think of Dune as their favorite sci-fi thing, I thought I'd recommend my favorite sci-fi book. And it's been a really long time since I read it. Not really long, but maybe like 10 years. Uh-huh. So... You know, maybe if I were to reread it, I I don't know if I would still feel as strongly about loving it as I did when I read it. But my favorite is The Moon is a Harsh Mistress by Robert Heinlein. Okay. He's one of my favorite classic sci-fi authors. He's got a huge body of work. He's got some possibly problematic ideas, but it's hard to tell because you know there's just such an evolution of his work throughout time uh-huh. but um I've, i love a lot of his books but the moon is a harsh mistress was the first one i read and the first one well i might have read children in a strange land in high school but the first one i read on my own as an adult and right. just fell in love and it's just a great story i definitely recommend picking it up the audiobook is really good for that as well so 
I don't have to check that out. It's a really good book. I love it. <laughs> I love uh, sci-fi books. I don't get to read enough of them. There's a computer that's alive. It helps Ooh. them re- have a revolution on the moon. And <laughs> <laughs> that sounds cool. It's really good. <laughs> that sounds so cool. All right. My recommendation is going to be um, an album, music album. Um, it's the Washed Out's newest album, Purple Noon. Um, Washed Out is kind of like this uh, electronic... I always liken his music to be a little ethereal uh-huh. um, kind of artist. And this album it just came out a couple weeks ago, and I love it. It's very, I would say, I call it mood music. <laughs> um, it's very good summer mood music. And even though we're at the end of summer, just it's a good thing to have for next summer. But um, he, I remember... It still feels like summer to me. <laughs> yeah, well, in Florida, it's always hot. So. <laughs> but it's just like the perfect album to like... If you're by yourself you know by the beach or even by like poolside just to put in and it just makes you feel like you're alone and you're just feeling so good and i i love this album i do have some beef with i think it's a pitchfork of vulture gave it a bad rating it said it had no substance and <laughs> i don't agree because not every album has to have a message i don't think it just has to make you feel something very true so i would recommend this a lot it's really, really good. That sounds good. What is it again? Uh, it's Purple Noon by Washed Out. Was it? Did you put any of it on my playlist? I did not, but I, I will send you the album okay. <laughs> so that you can listen to it. It's really good. Yeah, because I know last week I recommended that you wish me happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> but last week was my birthday, and Christian gave me a Apple playlist, which I really appreciated. I yes. think it's the best gift. If you guys are looking for a gift for people, then you don't want to spend money, but, you know... You know, in the old days, you used to give people mixtapes. Yes. Now you can just make a playlist for someone, especially for the person like me who just cannot follow music and needs other people's <laughs> recommendations at all times. <laughs> so, yeah, extra recommendation good. on top. Yes. <laughs> and let's see. Next week, we are having a check-in. And we will tell you what's going to be next, but I will let you know we're going to definitely do some David Lynch shorts in the next round. Oh, yeah. There's so many. (laughs) (laughs) He's literally producing stuff every day right now. (laughs) (laughs) And if you want to get in contact with us. Yes. You can email us at mannersmadness at gmail.com. Our Twitter is at mannersmadness. Our Instagram is at mannersmadnesspod. And our website is mannersandmadness.com, and you can leave us a voice message. Yes, and you can find all of our platforms there on mannersandmadness.com. And (laughs) I feel like there was something else I want to say. If you wouldn't mind giving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, we would definitely appreciate it. Five stars, please. It's super easy. You just click the stars, and you're done. And a recommendation definitely gives us more opportunity to have other people see our podcast yes so, more exposure yes so um yeah <laughs> so um yeah that's my favorite phrase <laughs> i think that's it yeah i don't think we have anything else all right well we'll see you guys next week thank you for joining us yes thank you for listening <laughs> have fun and good night <laughs> <laughs> bye